how Marquise Grissom got his start in baseball, the difference between courage and confidence, and how to go from poverty to prosperity with conviction, all coming right up. This is episode number 183 with former Chicago Cub, entrepreneur, philanthropist, and one of the most passionate individuals you'll ever meet, CJ Stewart. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. My mission is to help you gain clarity on what the best version of yourself looks like, and then provide you with the tools, tips, and inspiration on how to make that person become a reality. Today, I bring you CJ Stewart. CJ is the CEO of Diamond Directors and has taught MLB greats like Jason Hayward, Dexter Fowler, Andrew Jones, Andrew McCutcheon, and Peter Alonzo, just to name a few. CJ is also a founder of the foundation Lead to Legacy. He's going to tell you all about how his foundation empowers kids to lead their city. Be sure to take a screenshot and post it to your Instagram stories and tag me at carrier underscore best you to let me know that you're listening. Without further ado, here's to getting closer to your best you with CJ Stewart. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I am super fired up to have the one and only CJ Stewart with me today. Uh, I just want to start by saying thanks, CJ, for spending the time with me this uh, Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, my pleasure, Nick. Man, I'm excited about it as well. And um, we got some rain here in Atlanta, so um, it's a little it's a little gloomy, but I'm I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah, it's all right. We're gonna get fired up during this interview. I just know it. So it's to introduce you. CJ is a former Chicago Cub. Uh, you're the co-founder and CEO of Diamond Directors, which helps baseball players reach and exceed their full potential. Um, you've worked with countless MLB players like Jason Hayward. Dexter Fowler, Andrew Jones, Andrew McCutcheon, Peter Alonzo, and many others. And you're also the co-founder of the nonprofit organization in, here in Atlanta called LEAD, um, whose mission is to empower an at-risk generation to lead and transform their city. So I'm pumped to get into a lot of that stuff. But basically the way I want to start today, CJ, is you grew up here in inner city Atlanta, and you basically fell in love with baseball at a really young age. At about six years old, you remember watching Cubs games with your grandfather and I remember hearing you say that to practice playing baseball, you would throw up rocks to yourself and hit it with a bat and you'd practice throwing with rocks and everything like that. And then at age 14, kind of fast forward a little bit, you met a guy named TJ Wilson who provided you with some opportunities with baseball. But I want to kind of start with the gap time in between ages six and 14. What were some of the things that you did during that kind of youth period of your life? that you feel set you up for success moving forward? Well, uh, let's see. I was, like a lot of boys, very uh, mischievous. And so, you know, I think during that time, I was really just trying to understand the importance of discipline. So, you know, discipline, as I know it now as an adult, is doing the things that you need to do even when you don't want to do them. Um, but just uh, discipline as a child, just, you know, understanding the, uh, the difference between right and wrong. So at that very young age, uh, preparing me for success, which is really developing a keen understanding about what's right and what's wrong. So what were some things that you did at a young age that taught you, like, the difference between right and wrong? Oh, man. Um, like, was it kind of parents that were a big influence? Was it certain experiences? Like, was it coaches? What kind of led you in that in the right direction? Well, definitely my my parents, um, and then also people within the within my church. And you know, one of the things that I had a really big issue with in school was talking too much. So I got in trouble a lot uh, around that, and I would really try to you know justify it and, and spend a lot of time lying and saying that, you know, he started or she started so on and so forth. But I had to really um, learn how to discipline myself as a child and just make sure that being respectful and my mom was the disciplinarian of my family. So um, I, I got some, um, some whippings that whipped me into shape. And then, you know, I just remember even as my, my father, he didn't do so much physical discipline or anything like that, but it, it was definitely a point where it was just like, you know, I was starting to let him down. So uh, as a result of having to get those calls from my teacher. So, you know, those are just the things my parents really shaped uh, me as a child in a major way. Was there ever like a turning point when you went from, you know, talking a lot in class and getting in trouble a lot and kind of getting disciplined? Was there ever a, a clear experience or turning point where you kind of made a big shift the other way or was it just kind of gradual? Oh, man. 
Well, you know, ironically, it just it, it never stopped. I mean, all the way through high school, it was uh, one of those things um, where I just spent a lot of time talking. So I, I had a, a couple things that was going on. One, I was conscious of. The other, I, I wasn't conscious of. But um, one of the things that I was very uh, conscious of was, you know, I just patience. You know, it was just kind of like one of those situations where it's like once I understand something and I get it, then I'm ready to kind of move on. And uh, just understanding that, you know, in the classroom, I mean, it doesn't work that way where you can just do that. So a lot of times me acting out was a result of I get it, I'm ready to move on. But what I found out from my mom as I got into adulthood that I had uh, ADHD. And so she um, she did not want to share that with me when I was a child because she didn't want me to have to deal with the stigma of having, um, uh, you know, attention deficit disorder. and in, in that time, and even in cases now, if you have ADHD, uh, you know, you're you know, having medication and things like that. So she really didn't want me to go down that path. But I would say, you know, just the, the, the turning point, I mean, it just, it followed me throughout high school. And I did have a lot of warnings from people that if I didn't get my act together and learn how to focus, that it would be uh, a detriment. So fortunately for me now, as an adult, uh, and just going through life and just understanding the importance of just locking in, being patient and focused has helped me go further. Gotcha. So I kind of laid out a little bit of the timeline to start. You fell in love with baseball at six. You had this opportunity meeting this guy named TJ Wilson at age 14. At what point kind of in your baseball career slash playing baseball in your childhood, did you realize that playing baseball was something that you really wanted to pursue like full heartedly and long term? So being born and raised in Atlanta, which is the, the home of the civil rights movement, we uh, studied a lot about um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. As I got older and being in school and studying um, Jackie Robinson, understanding that he also was born in the state of Georgia. So these are two men that I was aspiring to be like. Uh, you know, here you have Dr. King on one hand, born, born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, just like me. And then you got Jackie Robinson being uh, born in Georgia, like me as well. So, you know, for me, I think that at a very young age and being in a city where there was a racial divide, I, I was able to, I don't know, I guess probably just through studying, I don't know, probably by the time I was in sixth grade, I really understood the significance of Dr. King and Jackie Robinson uh, as they were using their talents to fight against uh, structural racism. And I, I think probably about fifth, fifth grade or so, I was just saying to myself, man, if I could really get good in baseball, I could use my platform as a baseball player like Jackie Robinson. And uh, hopefully if I'm good enough, I could speak as good as Dr. King and I can really get a, a message out. I, I never got to be as good as Dr. King and nor do I even see the need to be that good. But my life as a very young child, was on a trajectory towards using baseball as a vehicle to help overcome structural racism, among many things. Yeah, so I mentioned a, so I've mentioned a couple of times now how at age fourteen you've met you met a guy named T.J. Wilson who kind of gave you some opportunities. I want you want you to just kind of take people through meeting him and what he was able to provide for you moving forward with your baseball career. Meeting T.J. and he's he's now um, passed. He's been he's passed a couple of years ago, two three years ago. And uh, I remember meeting him, and he was an Atlanta police officer. And I remember him telling me that. And so here in Atlanta and across the country, I mean, relationships with African-American males and police officers has been um, estranged in, in, in many cases. But he had this connection to baseball. And I remember we were at Westlake High School, which is the high school I was at. And his, he had a daughter who was a senior at the time. And so he was up at the school watching some of the baseball practices because he had a he also had a son that was in middle school that would be matriculating to Westlake the next year. So I guess he was just trying to look and see what kind of talent our school had to see what kind of environment his son would be in. And I remember him just, I don't remember the exact words, but he was complimenting me on my ability to play baseball. And he asked me if I wanted to be really good at it. And I said, yeah, I really do. And so we got into the conversation and we said, I want to play for the Chicago Cubs. I mean, that's what I dreamed of as a kid. And what I did not know is this was a man who loved baseball, who was well-connected with 
coaches and trainers and me having the confidence to share that with him opened up amazing opportunities. So ironically, after I shared that with him, I was working out with the Cubs at 14 within a month or two of meeting him. Here I am working out in a tryout for the Chicago Cubs. Back then, there was no perfect game and all this stuff. Teams would have free agent workouts and they would go through different cities. And uh, after the draft was over and they would just do open workouts, anybody could come. You could be 100 years old. Uh, but you could also be 14. In fact, I don't even know if I was supposed to be there. I think I was too young, but I was six foot tall. Oh, wow. uh, probably like 165 pounds. So I, I looked the part. And I'm out there. Workout went great. But what I later found out was as I, I guess I was probably about sophomore year, T.J. Wilson told me this story about this other kid that he worked with. He was telling me that he was working as an officer uh, in an Atlanta community, and he would he would ride in the neighborhood in his squad car, and he was talking to some kids one day. He had his car parked, talking to some kids, and then he drove off. And as he got several yards away, he heard the back of his window bust. And so he didn't know if it was gunshot. So what it was, as it turns out, it was a rock. Somebody had threw a rock and busted out the back of his, his window. So he goes and he tries to find the kids and figure out, you know, who did it so he can hold them accountable. So he found out who did it. He went to the kid's house, knocked on the door of the house, and he said, listen, your son threw a rock from a very long way and busted out the window of my, my car. And, you know, we got to deal with this. So as he was talking to the parents, the parents were upset. And he said, look, here's the deal. Rather than making him and making you all pay for it, he's got to play on my baseball team. Because anybody that can throw a rock that far and that accurate needs to be on my baseball team. And so it was Marquise Grissom. And uh, true story, man. Oh, my gosh. I told that story one time before in the presence of Marquise and – he said, yeah, man, that was absolutely, that was a true story. And at this, at this point, T.J. Wilson had passed. But uh, that's the kind of man that T.J. was. I mean, he was a, he, I mean, I don't, I don't remember learning a whole lot about how to play the game, but the etiquette and how to respect it and being, being in front of the right people at the right time was something that he taught me that I still use today when I serve young people. Wow. <laughs> that's an awesome story. You know, when, when you, first mentioned about how far it was. I was wondering if that's where the story was going to go. That is awesome. Um, But there was something that you said a while back, kind of like right when you first met TJ Wilson that I thought was really important. And it was when you said you met him and then you had the courage to tell him that your dream was to play for the Chicago Cubs, because I think it's really important. A lot of people think it's simply who you know and the connections that you have that's going to get you where you want to go. But a lot of times you we need to take that extra step and be willing to be courageous enough to tell other people what our goals are, where we want to go in life, because the only way that other people can support you and where you want to go is if they know where you want to go. So I feel like that was a kind of a really important thing that you had the courage to be able to express that to him. Yeah, I would say the opposite of courage is confidence. And so, you know, if, if you're really confident, that means that you are sure that you can do something because you've already done it before confident courage for me is based off of um is needed when you are fearful so like I'm, I'm afraid and in that case in saying that i was afraid to say it because he may have said you know what you're never going to be any good so that would have crushed my dream or he could have said you know that's real arrogant of you to, to say you want to play professional baseball and you got a specific team so the only only thing that I had at that moment, and, and I just felt right, was just the courage. So courage happens in the, in the presence of fear. And me saying it, I mean, his response was immediate. Like I said, I, within a couple months, and I was working out at Panthersville Stadium in Atlanta for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Preston Douglas was the scout that was there. Him and I still have a relationship. He drafted me twice out of high school and college. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, I really like that dis- distinction between confidence and courage. I think that's key. So you went to that tryout when you were 14, and you probably didn't necessarily go in with too much of a, an expectation other than just be in the environment of it all. So tell, tell me a little bit about that experience when you were 14, being around people trying out for or practicing and trying out for the Cubs. What was that like? 
So I think the key word there is to just be, you know, from what I have been seeing on television with African-American players that were playing in the major leagues, I mean, they they had bodies that weren't like overly muscular. And then I'm looking at my own body. At that time, I was doing push-ups and things like that. So I felt like I had a, a good body. I had studied those players enough looking at the baseball cards to see that my height was pretty comparable. I would watch them throw and compare it to the way I threw. So I felt like, you know, I really have nothing to lose. Plus, I'm young. I'm 14 years old. I can't even get drafted until I graduate from high school. So I got four years. So looking back at it now, I mean, I really just showed up not trying to get drafted because I couldn't, but I wanted to just learn and just start a relationship. And so with that being said, I think it just allowed me to be relaxed. And as I got older, scouts kind of perceived me as being arrogant, but I feel like I was just confident. So again, going back to confidence, when I'm making a statement based on something I've done, that's confidence. I don't need courage because I know that I can do it. So that's what being there at 14 was all about. Let me figure out what I can do. So that way I have four years to develop the confidence that I need to now accomplish this, this goal. Yeah, I like that. The, I like how you talk about confidence comes from experience and building up the reps and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we talk, we've talked about courage now and I want to, I want to stay there because as I mentioned, kind of in the introduction, you're the co-founder of this nonprofit organization called lead in which you try to empower and lead 350 African-American boys through high school. And you guys have some amazing stats. You guys have like a 100% high school graduation rate, 93% college enrollment, 90% scholarship rate. And what was it? 3,500 annual service hours or something like that. What, what are some of the big things that those boys don't get that you are providing them with your organization? One of the main things that we provide is access. If they do what it takes to to get good, then they're going to have access to people to um, give them a very honest evaluation. When I say honest, I mean that if a college scout or a professional scout says that they aren't good enough, then that that's what it is. You just aren't good enough. And if they if they say that they are good enough, so race does matter in this country. The way this country is set up, um, structural racism is everywhere. And so oftentimes for African-Americans, uh, especially boys, to hear no, you, you're, you're constantly wanting it to be unpacked. You know, what are you saying no to? Are you saying no to my ability or are you not giving me the benefit of the doubt because of my race? Are you saying no to my ability or is this a lack of respect and trust? My success as a as a player has allowed me to develop some really awesome relationships. So if a, if a young man is good enough to get in front of Tim Corbin at Vanderbilt, I can put him in front of Tim Corbin. Uh, if a young man is good enough to be in front of the Alex Anthopoulos, the GM for the Braves, I can put him in front of him. So that's a that's a that's a pretty amazing promise that you can give to boys and guarantees that if you do what you're supposed to do, I promise you and I guarantee you, I will put you in the right place at the right time to get a yes or a no. That's awesome. I think that it's super cool that you're able to give them access in a way that people, you know, look don't necessarily look at them differently because of their race. Essentially, is kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, people have a lot going on. I mean, especially if you live in a life of busyness and when it comes down to, you know, making judgments. I mean, I, I make judgments of people. I mean, you know, prejudice is not something that you can turn off. Prejudice and power can create negativity. Um, that's where you can start getting to issues with regards to race where you now have racism. So uh, I Everybody has prejudice. Everybody. You're, you're looking at people, you're trying to figure things out. And then when you start giving that that prejudice a negative power, now you have racism. And so, you know, because those things exist, one of the things that I really focus on doing is starting all of my relationships from a place of conviction and really understanding the heart and the soul of people so that the, that way we can develop a connection. And so, 
to be able to to be that have that level of protection for black boys is something that I don't take for granted. And it was something that has been in me for a very long time. Thus, the reason for me wanting to to aspire to be like Jackie Robinson and Dr. King. Yeah. So you've mentioned that word a few times to me now, both in this interview and prior to the interview, the word conviction. And that's how you start relationships with conviction. Describe a little bit about what, what you mean by that. So the, the opposite of conviction in this negative negative form would be guilt, which, you know, making somebody guilty is very um, paralyzing and convicting someone is calling them to account. And it's very empowering. Even when I think about my relationship with, with Jesus Christ, I'm a follower of Christ. And so my relationship with Christ is only through conviction where I look at myself up against Christ and what's expected of me as a follower and compare that to the life that I was living and saying, okay, this isn't good. So I'm going to make a change. So it started with conviction. Been married for 23 years here uh, this year, November 23rd. And so conviction is the thing that made me say yes to my wife and a, a marriage where I will be faithful forever. It takes conviction in order to make that, that kind of commitment. Um, but even with lead, I was convicted. Before I started doing lead, I had a very successful for-profit business where I was developing major leaders, Jason Hayward, Dexter Fowler, Andrew McCutcheon, so on and so forth. We've developed a lot of major leaders, and I've been their hitting coach. And so life was good. I mean, I'm from the inner city of Atlanta, played professional baseball. My career's over. I'm getting paid to teach people how to hit. And um, I'm in the suburbs doing it in the East Cobb area, which is very big for baseball. And one of my clients, Stan Conway, who's a very wealthy, successful real estate developer, happens to be a white male. I was training his middle school age white son. And Stan said three things to me. So essentially what he said, let's call it a pitch. So he threw me three fastballs right down the middle. And I swung and missed every last one of them. Number one, I consider myself to be this great coach. And he said, if you were as good as you said you were, why are your rates so low? So I was like, dang, you know, because one thing that I found out is Bentley's never going to sell. The good stuff always costs. So if you're really good, your rate should reflect that. Then he said, if you were as good as you said you were, CJ, he said, why is it that people can get such easy access to you? You know, if, if you're really good, you shouldn't be easily accessible. But in the third pitch, which struck me out and, and really convicted me, was he said, there's a decline of black males in baseball, and specifically in the inner city of Atlanta, where you're from, CJ, and you're not doing anything about it. So if, if, if I would have felt guilt, I would have done nothing about it. So that conviction um, was very empowering to me. It, it called me to account. It made me stop and look at what I was doing and why I was doing it. And then Stan also agreed to support me and help me financially with the, um, the creation of lead. So, you know, conviction for me is a powerful thing, and it is the prerequisite for change. So you're not going to experience sustainable change if you don't start with conviction. Wow. That's powerful stuff. That's awesome, man. I mean, that just like, I feel like I want to have that feeling about something moving forward as well. That's so cool. I want to go back to kind of the things that you help out the different boys in your, in the lead nonprofit organization with. So like you said, you give them access and everything like that, but what are some other things that you are able to provide them in terms of like personal self-improvement and building character and all that kind of thing that they don't have access to if it wasn't for this organization? Yeah, so uh, our mission, so what we do every day is empower them and at-risk generations to lead and transform their city of Atlanta. And so when we define empowerment, that is given responsibility and authority. And so our vision, so if we accomplish our mission that we do on an everyday basis, then our lead ambassadors will lead their city of Atlanta to lead the world. And so we know that that could happen because, again, even with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who was born and raised in the inner city of Atlanta and went to Booker T. Washington High School, which is our home base for lead. Um, he was able to do amazing things that benefited several people throughout the world. So our vision is for our lead ambassadors to lead the city of Atlanta to lead the world. 
So our pillars of excellence are academics, athletics, civic responsibility, and commerce. Those are our pillars of excellence, the things we focus on. And then our core values are excellence, humility, integrity, loyalty, stewardship, and teamwork. So those are values that we focus on through our year-round programming. So we're a 12-month, um, a 12-month-a-year program, year-round. And so we use those core values, six of them, and, and teach them um, once a month throughout the year. Baseball is very important because it is a game where you're going to have to experience a lot of failure and you can't succeed without it. So those interpersonal skills that they develop are amazing. And we use baseball as a vehicle to help them overcome crime, poverty, and racism. Those are the three curveballs that they face as African-American boys in this city of Atlanta um, and in this country that are set up to, to threaten their livelihood and, and having, a, having a fulfilling life. So crime, poverty, racism, and so baseball gives us an opportunity to help them to develop those interpersonal skills to, to win at a game of life. Gotcha. And so I keep seeing the number 350 is how many people in the organization. How do you guys go about getting people in the organization? Is it people applying to be in it or how does that work? Yeah, so 350 boys, that's grades 6 through 12. And so our partnership is with Atlanta Public Schools. Uh, Atlanta Public Schools serves a little over 52,000 students. And uh, 80% of those students live at or below the poverty level. Okay, Here in the city of Atlanta, if you're born in poverty, you have a 4% chance of making it out. So that's going up to the plate 100 times and getting four hits. If you're playing on a team that allows you to to get four hits out of 100, it's not a very good team. And so Atlanta has a whole lot of work to do. Again, going back to our mission, empowering that generation to lead and transform their city of Atlanta. Atlanta needs a lot of transformation. Atlanta is the number one city in America with income inequality. The, the gap between the haves and the have-nots is the largest in Atlanta than anywhere in the United States of America. This is the home of the civil rights movement. So for us, we don't have time to be playing baseball for recreation. We're using this game to develop the leaders that this city and this country needs. So with that being said, at the middle school level, uh, we have eight middle schools within Atlanta Public Schools that we partner with. And that partnership is a uh, with an MOU with the principal. So the principal's job is to, number one, get a, a liaison um, that we will pay, a liaison in the building whose job it is to identify 40 boys that are struggling with grades, attendance, and behavior that live at or below the poverty level. Okay, so most people do not want to deal with those kids. Okay, The reason why we can deal with those kids is because I was once a part of that. And I see myself as a um, worthy case study to evaluate, to understand how you can get out of poverty to a place of prosperity through baseball. So they, uh, they identify those 40 boys. And so the first semester of school, while they're playing football and basketball, we have a program manager from LEAD, who's a LEAD ambassador alum that works for us, that goes into the school and administers um, once a week core value training. We use uh, a curriculum called Habitudes, which is images to help athletes uh, develop positive habits and attitudes. And so this curriculum is used with the Atlanta Braves, Alabama Crimson Tide, several MLB teams, NFL, and so on and so forth. And so that's done once a week for the first semester. And so then second, second semester, the boys that have shown the most improvement now earn a jersey to play in our middle school league. So we only provide 20 jerseys. And a lot of people say, well, you know, what happened to the other 20 boys that don't get a jersey? Well, it's kind of like what happened to the other people that wanted to be on your podcast that didn't. I mean, I got a chance to be on here. I'm here. And uh, I'm fortunate that I am. But, it, but it's incentive for them to work harder. So we're not scouting out the perfect kids. We're scouting out the counted out boys that struggling with grades, attendance, and behavior. And so then they, they have the opportunity to matriculate to our fall legacy league, which is for high school students only. So 
We are uh, Atlanta's first fall instructional league that focuses on African-American boys and helping them to develop uh, the talent, habits, and skills that they need to launch educational opportunities in baseball. So you got a hundred boys out here that are fighting for one of those 40 ambassador slots to continue throughout the entire year with us. And so that 350 boys, some success stories, uh, one in particular, I think about uh, Austin Evans, who will graduate from Texas A&M this year. Uh, he did not play baseball at Texas A&M. And in fact, he was not a very good baseball player at all when he was with us. But Austin Evans really loved the leadership skills that he could develop in our organization. And while he was there for three years, three of the four years, he was off-campus senator at Texas A&M University. And he passed a bill uh, to uh, erect the statue of the first African-American graduate from Texas A&M University. Wow. So that's the power of, of the work that we get a chance to do. But here, even this year, in this year's class, we have Devin Clink Scales, who's going to graduate from Booker T. Washington High School, same high school as Dr. King. COVID-19 um, made it impossible for him to showcase his improvement this, this spring season. I really believe had he played, he would have been able to earn a baseball scholarship. He will admit that he took um, the opportunities to get in front of scouts. He took it very lightly. And so it didn't really start to click until this winter where several other ambassadors were signing scholarships that he says, you know what, let me make the commitment to be good. And he was making it. He was really locked in and, and really make, uh, willing to make the commitment. And I really believe that had he played the spring season, totally different mind space and physical space, he would have earned a scholarship. So COVID-19 is over. And one of the things that he's really learned that he said has created a paradigm shift. This was such a convicting moment for him. He understood the power, the power of focusing on the present, like right now, taking advantage of those opportunities. Same thing that I had to do when I was in front of the Cubs. But he he wants to own a sports bar and he wants it to be in the inner city of Atlanta. So because he's had the courage to say that, one of my good friends who works with Inspire Brand, which has several other restaurants in it, namely Buffalo Wild Wings, Devin Klinkscales is going to be working as a marketing intern for Buffalo Wild Wings Foundation. No way a step away from being able to, I mean, Buffalo Wild Wings is the largest sports bar in America. So what I'm, what I'm trying to do is like use my life as a case study to help prepare these African-American boys and just say, hey, listen, if we do this right, you'll present yourself with a lot of confidence, which people love and are attracted to. But absent of confidence, courage. So I'm, a, I'm fearful to even speak out loud that I want to play for the Cubs or I speak out loud that I want to own my own sports bar. But that's when you got to be courageous and say it because there are several people out there that really want to um, serve. So, um, yeah, I, I, that's, that's what Lee does within our mission. That's awesome. Those are amazing success stories, and it comes full circle with uh, having the courage to speak your goals out there um, out into the world. And I want, one thing I want to kind of go back to is – you mentioned how you guys kind of have 40 boys selected right in the beginning, and then 20 of those boys get to earn a jersey. What is maybe the difference between maybe the 20 people that earn the jersey versus the 20 people that don't, or maybe rephrased, what's the difference between somebody who can who really buys into the system and the process versus somebody who maybe doesn't buy in right away? Yeah, so... Let me see. I want to. I want to unpack this. So I, I trust that if I don't do a good job, you'll make me go deeper. So the the system that we have in place is based off of our values. Excellence, for instance, um, that's that's our first core value. That means to meet expectations. So we ins- we ins- we expect progress with your grades, attendance, and behavior. So. We're not very attracted to the kid that already has a 4.0 because any improvement he makes, I mean, it's just, you're good. You're going to be fine. So we want the kid who has got a 1.0 and, you know, progress from one of 2.0. So we, we have an amazing organization. 
So if you if you can be excellent meeting expectation, what that does is it says it, it, it trains a young man to say, okay, Coach CJ, what do you expect from me? I expect you to go from a 1.0 to a 2.0 in six months. All right. And then it forces him to start asking, okay, well, what do I need to do? Okay, well, that's very simple. Because let me just tell you this. If, if you go to school and have perfect attendance, well, you know what? Forget perfect attendance. If you go to school 90% of the time and you have B behavior, just, no, forget it, C. You go to school 90% of the time and C behavior, like me when I was in school talking too much, and you do your homework one day a week, then you're going to get, you're going to have a D average. If you do two days a week, I think you'll have a C average. You do your homework three days a week. Now, again, this is just coming to school 90% of the time. C behavior, you do three days a week, you're going to have a B average. You do four days a week, you're going to have an A average. So it's literally like, okay, so based off of that, what do you have the capacity to do? And if he says, I can do two days, okay, that's great. Then, then that's the standard. Two days. We're going to build habits around you doing that. That's attainable. I'm not going to ask you to do four days of homework. And in fact, as an advocate, I'm telling your teacher, look, you're not going to get it. You're going to get two days, and that's it. And so and, and having them develop that character helps them to move through our system. For the first three months of the year, August, September, and October, that's the assessment phase. November, December, January, that's the build phase. So at that point, we're, we're building habits and we're engaging them. The third phase, so that's February, March, and April, is the empowerment phase. So now we're starting to give them responsibility and authority. And then the fourth phase of the year is maintenance. So we we don't change our system for anybody. I don't care who you are. I mean, it could be any kid. Whoever comes into our organization, they're going to start it out in the assessment phase, move to the engagement phase, empowerment, So and then maintenance. So kids being able to have that kind of structure, knowing that lastly, I'll say, that's powerful for us is what we call the C, S E A. So S E A, the C. Standards, expectations, and accountability. We, we set very clear standards. Our expectations are very clear, and the accountability is swift. We will onboard you with excellence, and we will get you out of here with excellence as well. Like, we're not playing around. If, if you if you have trauma in your life and you're being physically abused at home, you want to tell us that. We have resources to help that. If your house burns down, you want to be with us. You don't want to miss a practice of mine because your house burned down. That's a part of the relationship building that we have to make sure that we give you everything that you need. Now, but if you're not with us, then you're not under our protection. If you are, you are. So when I talk like that to boys and making it very clear and making promises and guarantees, they, they want to be with us. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I really think those those three standards, expectations, accountability are super key. And I really like how you kind of laid out the the few different phases that you all go through. Sounds like a super powerful method that you guys have. Uh, so I read out, I read something that was in an article that you were kind of interviewed about, and it says that you discovered that the youth think that talent is the ceiling when it's actually the floor. And I think that's a kind of a struggle that a lot of people really have. They think that if I'm not immediately equipped to be able to do something, then I'm not able to do it. It's it's my ceiling. So I kind of want you to just talk about the importance of not minimizing what you're capable of based off of your talent. Yeah, so talent is what you do well. Habits is what you do well repeatedly without thought. And then skills is what you do well repeatedly without fault while under stress. So um, I think that one of the things that I do well is with respect to Dr. King, who's uh, one of my heroes, I think I do a a good job of speaking with passion and conviction. Uh, I I don't have a good habit of um, speaking with conciseness and I don't have the skill of speaking while under stress. So there may be some questions that could be asked of me that, you know, may not make me look like a qualified CEO. 
But with that being said, that's why I'm not Dr. King and, and lead, leading this movement of millions of, of, of people. What I am skilled at is coaching. I know how to move people, regardless of where you are, which is why we have the framework uh, that we have. So, you know, people just got to understand, again, that's why conviction is so important, is you can't make it in this world with just talent. Skills pay the bills. If you, whatever you're talented at, I mean, you're at the floor, you're at the bottom, but you can be built up. So recognizing the talent that you have or you do not have, and that's one of the things that we're very clear on with our boys is, okay, you're 14 years old. When I was 14, I was trying out for the Chicago Cubs. You're five foot two. You don't run well. You, you, you lack the commitment to become a better runner. So right now, chances of you playing baseball at the University of Georgia, it's, it's not going to happen. It's not. <laughs> you, you don't have what it takes. Now, with that being said, if you want to be in our program and you want to prove me wrong, you can. You know, I'm usually not wrong on those kind of, um, kind of things. But habits, these are things that you do well repeatedly without fault. It requires commitment and discipline. And those are two things that a lot of people uh, avoid. And uh, I avoid it for many years of my life and have had convicting experiences that have helped me. Commitment is a promise made to yourself for yourself. Forget about anybody else. I made a commitment to be available to do this podcast. I made a commitment to be honest. If you ask me a question right now, I can't answer, and maybe I should be able to answer it. I'm just going to say, you know what? I don't have an answer. I should have an answer. I, so that's a promise that I've made to myself and for myself. And then discipline is doing the things that I need to do that I don't want to do. So as much as I'm excited about being on this show, I would probably much rather be working out a number of other different things. But discipline has me seated here, locked in and focused on so commitment and discipline. So give me somebody with some talent, help them develop the commitment and discipline that they need. They're going to develop habits and skills and skills pay to be with. That's awesome. I love it. I love how articulate you are with breaking down your defin the definitions of these individual words, because I think the distinction is really important just to kind of see where your gaps lie and the things that you kind of need to work on and improve upon. Down to the last few questions, I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't ask this one right here. So we've mentioned some of the top baseball players that you've worked with, and you've worked with, like, a, like I said, countless baseball players. What's really the difference between the people who you, who you work with that kind of make it to that pinnacle versus the people who don't quite get there? Mindset is the, the key, and I really – work diligently to um to to help my guys and just people that I coach in general to be uh, uh diligent about their mindset so what I found out today actually when I was doing some um, bible study it was talking about the importance of diligence so before the word coach was used in athletics it was used as a means of transportation so in Scotland, a diligence coach was the compartment that you sat in while you wait to be transported. And then a coachman had these reins and was controlling a horse. So diligence is, is, is the, the, the earnest of, of doing something, doing it with earnest and, and, and commitment. But before we was using athletics, a diligence coach. So I, I I am a diligent coach uh, for the people that I have been called to serve. If you are if you are in my life and you have been and, and I have been called to serve you, I'm going to do it. And if I'm not, then I won't. Um, and so, just just thinking about that. Let's see a focus box. So right now I see this box that I'm in here. On the right side is is things that I do wrong. On the left side is things that I do right. The problem for a lot of people is we try to go from wrong to right and skipping over the importance of making an adjustment, which is down at the bottom. So I got to know that what I'm doing is wrong, which is very convicting. I got to do something different, which leads to me doing it right. But then when I do it right, rather than trying to do it better, I got to focus on doing it again. Mm -hmm. 
And so that's the difference between, you know, my hitters. When I think about Hayward, here's what I'm doing wrong. Here's what I need to do different. I'm now doing it right. Let me focus on doing it again. Peter Alonzo, you know, the same thing. And one of the things with these guys as well, too, is their, their understanding of capacity. I mean, so, yeah, it'd be great to be a 5-2 player, but these guys, they don't they don't have – I mean, Peter Alonzo is not going to go out here and try to figure out how to lead the league in stolen bases. He's a hitter. <laughs> so – He's not gonna. He's not gonna waste time trying to be excellent at that thing, meeting that expectation, when when he needs to focus on hitting and hitting well. So with that focus, I train my guys to know what to say no to and what to say yes to. Gotcha. I love that. I love it. Well, down to the last two uh, questions here, CJ. I really think that these are gonna be more uh, personal questions here. So. I think that in order to get closer to the best version of yourself, it's really important to try to visualize what you want that person to look like and what you want that person to be capable of. So I want you to take a second to visualize the best version of CJ Stewart. And I want you to think, does this person have a particular skill or piece of knowledge that the current version of myself does not yet have? And if so, what is it? Um, so I'm, my mission in life is to be significant, serving millions, bringing them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Started with my wife, Kelly, my now 18-year-old daughter, Mackenzie, and my 12-year-old daughter, McKenna. So, you know, the future me is serving millions of people. When I use the word serve, I'm, 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 you, your significance comes from using your success and giving it to others. And so, you know, serving, but it also requires partnership, meaning that I've got some weaknesses and in serving you, you can make me better and vice versa. So it's not like helping and fixing people are very different than serving. Serving brings that partnership. So when I think about my future self, the skill that I don't have right now is patience. It's, it's what I pray about. And patience, I'm defining that as waiting without anger. So, you know, waiting, patience, no, patience. I need, I need, I need patience. So that way I can just be more healthy mentally and not try to do things outside of God's will. I mean, even with being on this podcast, I mean, I, I feel like it's within his will for me to spend this time with you. Your questions have been a blessing to me. I mean, I'm, I'm fulfilled. I don't feel like anything is taken away from me. But sometimes I can get impatient and, and commit to doing things that I shouldn't do. Mm, I like that a lot. Well, before I ask the last question, CJ, I want to start by acknowledging you. I think that your ability to use certain words in a particular way and really define the words that you're using and why you're using them. I mean, like right there, you took the time to say, I want to have patience. And that's patience without fear. You've talked about confidence. You've talked about courage. You've talked about habits and skills and everything like that. And I just love how diligent you are with the words that you use and the passion that you bring behind them. I think it's really unique and really special. Thank you. Of course. Of course. Well, I want to make sure everybody goes out and learns more about you and supports everything that you're doing. So make sure you guys go check out his for-profit business, diamonddirectors.com and his uh, nonprofit organization that we've talked a lot about lead to legacy.org. Is there anywhere else where people should go to learn more about you and everything like that? So I am on Facebook, and so you look up CJ Stewart, and it's me. I, I think the the profile picture is me in a red jacket in Atlanta, and I'm flipping a ball up in the air. So I'm on there. I would caution you though: is um, I um, I, I'm consequential. So there's a lot of topics that I talk about on there, uh, different things that may uh, convict you. So if that's if if I convict you, that's great. That's what I want to be able to do. But I do um, use social media in a way where I can be challenged and learn things. And I'm on LinkedIn, and then I'm on Instagram as I am CJ Stewart, and on Twitter CJ Stewart Lead. Um, and all I ask is, you know, if you challenge what I say, you're not going to get any response from me. Um, but if you challenge why I said what I said, then we can have a dialogue where I can learn from you. Uh, and that's what I want because I do want to become that better version of myself. 
And uh, I'm not going to be able to do that by myself. So I'm just glad that I get an opportunity to engage with people that can challenge me. Mm. Again, I love that distinction between not don't challenge necessarily what I say, but you can challenge why I say it. I love it. So last question, CJ, is I think that in order to get closer to the best version of ourselves, it's a constant journey. I don't think we're ever at that best version. And I also believe that it's a unique journey. I think the way that I'm going to get closer to the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get closer to the best version of yourself. So again, a question for you personally, if you could currently work on or do three things to get closer to that best version of yourself. What are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? Oh, I would say be in the company of people that I don't like. Um, I would say live every day ready to die. And um, golly, let's see. Uh, I don't know. I, I think those, those two right there, man, I think if I try to think of a third one, I think it would be stretch, stretching. But I mean, like those really come top of mind for me is just being willing to just be around people like that. I just do not like just finding the value out of those people for them to be able to help me again. We So I don't like you, but but I'm 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 challenging you and asking you why you're doing what you're doing, and then it's like, wow, man, you are pretty awesome. So starting from that place of conviction can give a connection. But then just, you know, living every day, um, living to die. I mean, one day I'm going to die. And uh, I got an opportunity to give um, both of my grandmothers communion before they passed. And I knew very quickly after I, and they were older age, um, in their 90s, mid 90s. And I knew, I knew that after I gave them communion as a deacon, because they were both fallen ill, I, I knew they were going to leave the world because for them it was like it was nothing else to do they had a strong legacy um in place so if i can do that and not have regret then i can leave this world in peace and it holds me accountable for for being the best version of myself every day that's awesome a couple of great things right there well i appreciate it cj that's all we got awesome man thank you for your question so this was amazing of course thank you there you have it i hope you enjoyed this inspiring episode with cj Make sure you share this episode to someone who you know could benefit from his inspiring words. I loved how deliberate CJ was with his vocabulary, which speaks volumes to the intentionality with which he lives his life. Be sure to go to www.diamonddirectors.com to learn about his business and go to leadtolegacy.org, which is L-E-A-D, the number two, legacy.org to learn about his nonprofit and all the amazing work that they're doing. Remember, your talent is the floor of your potential. You start with talent, then you put in the work to develop habits, and you do those habits over and over again to develop skills so that you can perform under pressure. So go out there and take control of your life. Be courageous to step into new opportunities and then build a foundation of knowledge through your experience. This will bring you the confidence you need to lead the life you want to lead. Share this podcast, rate and review the show, and most importantly, go take action so that you can get closer and closer to your best you. 